I'm Curtis Schaefer. And I'm Martine Halverson-Taylor. And this is Sacred and Profane. Last week, we spoke with our colleague Bonnie Gordon about castrati, castrated male singers whose powerful but high voices came to dominate music written for the Catholic Church. Castrati became a source of tension between a largely Catholic Mediterranean and the rising Protestant North. That fault line that Bonnie Gordon talked about with us, a Europe divided, intersects with our story today. This week, we're again diving into our archives to bring you Field Notes, great documentary work by UVA students that complements our own reporting. Evan Sandsmark has been living and studying in Austria on and off for several years now. Months before countries across Europe began going on lockdown to fight COVID-19, Evan brought us this report about how the EU may be more fragile than it appears and how ethnicity and religion are two of its more enduring fault lines. Above all, Evan says, this is a story about the fragility of the European order. What exactly is happening in Europe? And how is it affecting the lived experience of Europeans residing outside of their home countries? We'll let Evan take it from here. And afterwards, we'll check in with Evan, who's still in Austria, about how COVID-19 is affecting the EU today. The European Union, one of the great triumphs of the post-war liberal order, is in trouble. Its legitimacy is being called into question, and its bedrock principles, like the freedom of movement between EU member states, are being tested. Just a few years ago, it would have been strange to claim that migration within the EU is at risk. But with the rise of far-right populist parties across Europe, and in the wake of Brexit, the continued existence of a strong and unified European Union with open internal borders has never been more in doubt. Well, I'm Zizis Vatrakis, age 24. I came from Greece, and that's all. I'm Luis Ayuso. I'm 37, come from Spain. Both Zizis and Luis moved to Innsbruck, Austria in 2012. Although it was less than a decade ago, it was a very different time in the life of the EU. To escape the noise of the city, they met a few miles outside of Innsbruck, in a small village tucked into the mountains. The three of us originally met in a German class when we were all new to Austria. I had only come to study German for a year, but they had moved to resettle. I came here to study. The reason that motivated me to study abroad and not in Greece was that Greece was in a very deep economical crisis. It still is, but it's getting better, thank God. But Greece was in such a bad place economically that you had no future there and no chances to study. I can totally understand what what CP says. Zizis generally goes by Zippy, by the way. That's what Luis calls him, and that's how I'll refer to him from now on. It is worth mentioning here that before anyone had even heard of Brexit, there was the prospect of Grexit with a G. In 2015, Greece nearly crashed out of the EU because of a government debt crisis. Had Greece defaulted, 
leaving behind $400 billion in debt, then the European banks that lent money to Greece could have collapsed. Other countries that were on the verge of bankruptcy might follow. This includes Spain, where Luis is from. Maybe Spain was a little bit lucky, luckier than Greece, but the situation was bad. It was uh, little chances to to develop a successful career, to to have a professional life you are happy with. You are forced, or you were forced to to get employments and conditions uh, my parents would not have approved in their time. There was no much room for self-improvement or, or to feel proud of what you do or of personal growth. Um, it was it was economically bad. It was also bad for the soul. It was uh, very depressing. This is the classic immigrant's tale. And as Europeans, the process of moving to Austria was simple. They didn't need a visa, nor did they have to apply for a work permit. Luis and Zippy are fully entitled to live in Austria, as they are in any other EU member state. But in recent years, things have become more complicated. If I'm allowed to express myself this way, shit is going down and it's going down fast. Europe is very unstable at this moment. In light of that, in light of what you see as conditions sort of deteriorating in Austria, do you feel more uh, vulnerable in your status being a resident of Austria but not a citizen of Austria? I wouldn't say that I feel more, more vulnerable because I'm not a patriot. I would follow the same logic I followed with Greece. When the things will get bad, I'll just fly to a better place. It has its places to be from a third world European country. He means this last line about being from a third world European country as a joke, but one with an edge given Greece's status in the EU. It's viewed as less developed and more politically unstable compared to countries like Germany or Austria. Zippy is less worried about an uncertain future. It has always been uncertain in Greece, and he thinks he can adapt. He'll just move if things turn bad here in Austria. But this freedom to relocate, this unrestricted ability to pursue employment opportunities wherever they arise, is exactly what seems less certain today than ever before. I asked Luis how he feels about the current situation. He is less sanguine than Zippy, and the conversation turns to his concerns for the next several minutes. I am worried about the situation in Europe right now. And I myself, I find trouble on trusting other nations and trusting my co-citizens in this European Union project. I would say it's like a collective depression. Our lives are are unconceivable without the European Union as they are today. I don't need to have a visa or a work permit and I am free to move whenever I want and I will continue paying in the same currency. And uh, that alone is just wonderful. I think we don't value the European Union. The various populist and nationalist movements that doubt the purpose and legitimacy of the European Union clearly do not value it. However, it is unclear if these movements are themselves responsible for instability in Europe. 
it would not be fair to blame populist movements as the one cause or one single threat of the European Union because those populist populist uh, movements are just a, a symptom of some sickness or some some situation happening somewhere else. Of course, sicknesses are hard to diagnose, but when we talk about our own health, we often stress the importance of taking care of our bodies, eating right, exercising, so we're less vulnerable to disease. And the body politic of the EU seems to be suffering from a disease. A great number of people take the institutions that have enabled international cooperation for granted. In some ways, this is a testament to how smoothly the EU has functioned in the decades since World War II. Populist movements often take advantage of that kind of complacency. It's easy to attack institutions when you don't think they will actually crumble, or when you don't even consider what their absence would mean. I find it funny that we all say this is a terrible time for Europe, but not so long time ago we were killing each other, and we have been killing each other for centuries. So <laughs> with all the differences, right now we are... Uh, in the in the longest lasting peace in the history of Europe. And do you think that that peace is at all threatened? Because I think even just like five years ago, if you would have said that it's conceivable that a, a major country like the UK is going to try to leave the European Union and thereby throw all British citizens across the European Union, throw their fate totally into question. I think we would have said that's crazy. There's no way that's going to happen. And then it did happen. Okay, after Brexit uh, was voted, there has been an open door in Europe for exiting the European Union. And a lot of parties and movements play with the idea that uh, countries could leave the European Union. So the first thing we heard here in Austria when Brexit happened was, is there going to be an exit? I take it a little bit as a joke. I don't want to think too seriously about it, but it is definitely an option and it could happen that one day Austrians decide that this does not work for them. And then I will be left, I don't know, I will be unprotected. I will be, I don't have intention to move anywhere else. I started to develop a life here and it's something I really don't want to ask myself because it's an uneasy thought. And the threat to Luis's new life in Austria also comes from his home country, which hasn't exactly been a bastion of stability either. In October 2017, the Parliament of Catalonia declared independence from Spain. For a number of reasons, the declaration wasn't successful, but the mere fact that it happened was troubling enough. For me, a, a rupture that really resonates was the Catalonian intention of leaving Spain and therefore leaving the European Union. I never thought about the possibility that Spaniards might want to leave the European Union, but after the uh, situation with Catalonia, uh, it is definitely an option that is on the table. I maybe don't want to toy with this idea because uh, it will be also a threat to my way of life. 
if Spain would leave the European Union, then I would lose my status also uh, as invitee in this country. I asked Sippy about Greece leaving the EU. Grexit would be something possible because the people do want to leave the European Union and it would help the Greek citizens to raise their economy and get it better. But the Greek government would never allow Greece to leave the European Union. He thinks this is mostly for national security purposes. Outside of the EU, Greece would be more vulnerable to foreign influence, particularly from Turkey. All this underscores just how tenuous European unity is. What is responsible for all of this? Are resurgent populist movements really to blame? Have people just grown complacent, indifferent to the hard-won stability provided by the EU? Uh, blaming all these uh, sudden movements that, that do claims will not be fair. Uh, I will think we need to investigate a little bit deeper what are the reasons why we are not happy together. What then are the deeper issues? What is driving these movements? And why are populism and nationalism on the rise? As a student of religion, I was interested in the possible religious influences of these movements. In some ways, though, it would be surprising if religion played any role at all. Europe is often associated with secularism, and for the most part, religion does not play the public role it does in the United States. Religion is a bit of a taboo topic in Europe in general, and people try to avoid it because it raises a lot of conflict. But religion still permeates the continent, and some parts of Europe are still quite religious. Well, Greece is a highly religious country, and most people are Orthodox, Orthodox Christians, and religion plays a very huge part in the everyday life of of a Greek person, because there are a lot of holidays that are religious and nothing works in the country. And also during school, they take us, they took us to church to follow the masses. This religion studies were only about Greek Orthodox Christianity. We didn't have even a slight hint of Muslim beliefs or even Buddhist beliefs or even Catholic beliefs. The thing is that if somebody is Greek, the, th the first thing somebody asks him, are you Orthodox? And yes, especially people that are also Orthodox, they really love this question. Because the second thing they say that after you say yes and baptized, they hug you and say brother. Just because you share the same religion. Well, not exactly religion, that you share the same dogma. Because it's not even religion. We share the same religion with the Catholics and the Protestants. But if you're an Orthodox and you meet a Serbian who's also Orthodox, he's going to like you more than the Austrian who's not. Luis said something similar about Catholicism in Spain. In some ways, Spain is a very secular country. But even so, Luis says there is an assumption that pretty much everyone in the country is Catholic. As CP would have said with the Greeks that they need to be Orthodox, 
I will also assume that any other Spaniard is Catholic. He also pointed out that it helps him assimilate in Austria, which remains a predominantly Catholic country. I think being Spaniard and being Catholic definitely helped me to be accepted. I find it amazing going to the church and finding out that the ritual is exactly the same as back at home. And, and you can see how people uh, like that I don't need to be instructed on what to do or what to do because in the end, I know. Neither Luis nor Zippy are particularly religious themselves and both noted that the influence of religion appears to be in decline. Nevertheless, it remains part of the cultural fabric of Europe. And the religion is like the blood that runs through the veins of Europe and, and ties together the different cultures. If religion does still play this unifying role, even if implicitly, then outside disruptions can cause fractures. The influx of Muslim refugees is a case in point. It gave another reason for people to fight. Because some people will say, hey, he's a Muslim, he's following the religion of hate. Because of him, bad things happen. And then the fight starts between the locals. But that fight never stays between the locals. It extends to their friends and their families. It's causing a lot of infights between the citizens of the country, between the citizens of the European Union, and also between the refugees and the asylum seekers that need help here and they just don't share the same religion as us. And it's enough reason for other people to hate them. For Zippy, religion in general, and Islam in particular, does drive conflict. This isn't the fault of religion itself, and still less is it the fault of individual believers. Culpability is the wrong way of looking at it. He just thinks religion causes conflict as a simple matter of fact. I raised the same issue with Louise. What is the role of the religion in the current European crisis? I do not think that religion is a, an immediate cause of trouble in the European Union. But uh, as I said before, I think that it defines very strong cultural backgrounds and this motivates differences. Religion plays a role in demarcating groups, of setting up an us-versus-them mentality. Christianity is on one side, and Islam is alleged to be on the other. I do not think that Islam is a threat, a direct threat to Europe. But I think it's a very noisy topic and a lot of people might hide behind it to motivate a rebellion or to motivate a, a, the fight because of the disagreement. In other words, Luis thinks that people use religion as an excuse and that this is certainly the case with the populist and nationalist movements gaining traction across the continent. They claim that Islam is incompatible with Europe's purportedly Christian culture. The irony is that, with only a couple of exceptions, these movements are not particularly religious, and populist revivals have not been accompanied by religious revivals. The cultural status of Christianity and fear of Islam is being exploited in the pursuit of nationalist ends. Islam is such a 
unknown big thing that can become very easily an ugly monster to to scream against. Um, I don't. I I think it's a hoax. I don't think uh, the Islam has a, part, a significant role on on real problems in Europe. The truth is that it is impossible to trace the precise causes of global change. It is difficult to disentangle cause and effect, and how far back are we supposed to look for causes anyway? There is a reasonable case to be made that the refugee crisis in Europe was initiated by climate change. Droughts across the Middle East caused widespread social unrest. In Syria, the clash between protesters and government forces eventually descended into civil war, thereby displacing millions of people, many of whom ended up in Europe. But what initiated climate change? The Industrial Revolution? The questions never stop. One of the great motifs of Tolstoy's War and Peace is the impossibility of discerning the exact forces behind large historical events. At the midway point of the novel, musing about the war between Russia and France, Tolstoy writes, The deeper we go in search of causes, the more of them we find. And each cause taken singly or a whole series of causes present themselves to us as equally correct in themselves and equally false in their insignificance in comparison with the enormity of the event. It is ultimately unclear what is driving instability in Europe, but that there is instability is clear. A strong and unified European Union is by no means a foregone conclusion. Is Brexit a one-time aberration or a portent of things to come? If populist forces sweep over Austria, could people like Luis and Zippy actually be in trouble? I think the only honest answer is that it is possible, and the mere fact that it's possible is frightening enough. But for Luis and Zippy, there is little they can do on a day-by-day -day basis, so we end our discussion with an act that still unites all the European countries. We have a drink. <laughs> Here. So you see a salute. 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 How do you say uh, cheers? Yamas. 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 Although it's a little early for us here in Virginia to raise a glass with Evan, we do want to hear from him virtually about what's going on now in Europe. To start with, tell us a bit more about where you are. Are you still in Innsbruck? Yeah, so I, I'm in Austria. I'm in a small village about... 10 kilometers from Innsbruck, so kind of up in the Alps, not far from the Italian border. I live here with my wife, who has a job over here, and she's from Austria. So we are we are settled in for the long haul over here. And are you feeling the effects of the coronavirus in your village? Uh, yeah, very much so. So there hasn't been, as far as I can tell, a ton of cases in my immediate area, but there certainly has been in the, uh, the Bundesstaat, like the, the state essentially of Austria in which I'm in, which is called Tyrol, not too far from where everything was happening in Italy, in northern Italy. So there was a lot of initial concern in this area. So it's been locked down pretty severely, but it seems as if things are potentially improving. So we're hopeful for that. How are Luis and Zippy? So Zippy actually works at a supermarket. So he's got his hands full and he's kind of on the front line. Um, and I know he's not particularly happy about that. He sent me some message a couple of days ago about um, how is uh, <laughs> he, he doesn't feel any greater admiration for the human race after uh, this <laughs> whole event. 
And Luis, he does software development. So he's just working from home. And I don't think had as much of an impact on his day-to-day life. And do you see any relationship between measures that they've taken to stop stop spreading the virus and some of what you've reported on, sort of a wariness of traveling across borders? Yeah, well, it's interesting because basically all of the uh, sort of worrying signs that I talked about in this podcast that I discussed with Luis and Zippy are potentially going to be exacerbated by the current situation. I haven't really been able to personally witness anything myself yet, in part because I'm quarantined and basically unallowed to leave. Um, But yeah, it's definitely worrying because uh, just as a practical matter, um, you know, nobody's going to be let in or out. Uh, You you essentially cannot leave the country and nor can you enter it. Um, So looking sort of long term at what that might mean for potential people trying to resettle here, I think it's going to be virtually impossible uh, to say nothing of the prejudice that any quote unquote outsider might face in the future. About the long-term viability of the European Union and the sort of uh, the the laws and norms that make it such a, a wonderful accomplishment. I mean, we see immediately at the moment just a complete and utter breakdown of freedom of movement. You you literally cannot cross borders except for under very strict um, conditions. And and you know, I just I just don't know when things are going to be normal. And I think that there's going to be suspicion and there's going to be uh, wariness to to get back to the way things were. And I I just see, unfortunately, divisions becoming more pronounced as opposed to dissolving. But hopefully, looking at it more from a a multi-year perspective as opposed to just a few months, hopefully things will resolve at some point. But to be be perfectly frank, I, I am very worried. And I think that the problems that I identified may only get worse before they get better. Yeah. Is that a issue you see within Austria? Or is this an EU-wide issue that you're looking at, right? In other words, do you see those stress fractures within the country or is this really a pan-Europe stress that you're identifying? Yeah, I think think it operates on both levels. So if there is unrest within the people of Austria about the number of refugees that have been allowed to resettle in the country – then that in turn alienates the Austrian citizens from the broader European community, which then leads to stresses on the structure of the European Union itself. So individual problems within a country may for a while remain local to some extent, but they almost can't help but bubble up and have these broader effects in in, in the European community. Evan, thank you so much for talking with us from Austria. It's so it's so good to hear your reporting continue. Yeah, thank you both very much. It was a pleasure to speak with you. This project was funded by the Religion, Race, and Democracy Lab at the University of Virginia. It was created by Evan Sandsmark. Ashley Duffalo is our communications manager. Our senior producer is Emily Gaddick. Kelly Jones is the lab's editor. Next week, we'll be returning with a full-length episode of Sacred and Profane. Stay tuned. 